Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. So glad you're here this morning. My name is David. I'm one of the leaders here. This is Ann, uh, and this is Lauren, and we are just so excited to be here. I'll speak for myself, and I think I speak for everybody on stage. We're actually just glad to be inside. It's pretty chilly outside. Um, I know in a moment we're going to ask you to sing, but I also know that this is the time of year where we get a little bit of rasp in our throat, our voices might be gone, might be here, and so uh, I'll say this. The louder you sing this morning, the less you have to listen to maybe my voice because my throat is not well, so I'm going to need you to sing out this morning. I'm reminded as we, as we gather of uh, Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, it's a reminder that we can approach the throne room of grace with confidence, not based on what we've done, but based on the finished work of Jesus because of his faithfulness. And so this morning, as children of the King, we have so much to be thankful for. And if anything, it's thankful of the work that he's finished on our behalf. Amen. That's all we got at the end of the day. Hear this from Psalm 118. It says, this is the day that the Lord has made. So the response is, let us rejoice and be glad in it. For a moment, bring to mind something that the Lord is worthy to be rejoiced for. He's worthy of our praise this morning. So let's stand together. Let's sing this. Let's remind ourselves that we enter in to his presence because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I stand amazed. Sing with me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean. So we sing this together. How marvelous! How marvelous! How wonderful! And my song shall. Together he took, he took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own, he bore the burden to Calvary, where he suffered and died alone. Sing that again, he took.
shall see the fortress. It will be my joy through the ages to sing out His love for me. Confidence is found in the finished work of Jesus who bore our sin, who carried our sin, carried our shame. The sinner condemned unclean was placed on him that we may be called children of you. So God, we approach your throne this morning with grace. We leave shame at the door knowing that you have covered that and protected us from that. So God, we look to you this morning. That's your name I pray. Amen. If you would, grab a seat for a moment. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. Good to see all of you this morning on this chilly day. Good to be in here with you. My name is Ray, and I'm one of the counselors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. So I just want to say welcome. Thanks for joining us. This, this is uh, your first time with us. You can get some more information about us if you just follow that QR code with your phone there. And you can always, um, after service, go to one of the booths out in the foyer and get some more information and get connected there as well. So good to see you this morning. Hey, it is my uh, privilege and opportunity this morning to say a couple of thank yous. And the first thank you I want to say is to our veterans. Friday was Veterans Day, and we don't like those things that get past us without honoring and saying thank you. So this morning, if you uh, served in the military and the armed forces, if you just give us the opportunity and stand so that we can honor you this morning, would you do that? Thank you so much for serving our country. Thank you so much. We are honored to have you with us this morning. I also get an opportunity to say thank you this morning for what has been happening over the last couple of years. Again, I am uh, one of the counselors here, a member of the the care and counseling team, and over the last couple of years, we've been sort of launching this ministry, and it has been great to see people involved in support groups for grief and divorce, and and, um, week in, week out, actually day in and day out, down there in the elementary wing, um, we have the opportunity to meet with and care for and help walk through healing for lots of individuals and couples and families. Uh, We have three counselors down there, one of which is an emerging counselor who's an intern from John Brown University. And woo, represent. And uh, so we just love to see that. But I wanna say thank you to not only you, but to our staff of of Fayetteville, 
and to the leadership of Fellowship as a whole for, for supporting that, getting behind that with resources, not only financially, but just day in and day out, letting us know that, that they love what we do and they support us. And uh, that's important to us, and we love to be able to meet with people down there. So follow this code, and you can find some more information about that, not only here, but the resources we have at Rogers as well. So last thank you to you today. Um, uh, now and again, we, we ask you to give to our disaster relief fund. And uh, we've seen a couple of different ways that that fund is used. But this morning, we want to show you one more way that your giving, your generosity has been used. We have a video here just to show you what happens with those funds. And so thank you for giving to this. Hello, Fellowship. Uh, my name is Mike Schatzman. I'm with Crew in Portugal. And I want to say thank you for giving generously to helping us uh, meet the needs of Ukrainian refugees uh, in Portugal and in Ukraine. Through your generosity, we've been able to help resettle Ukrainian families in Portugal. In fact, even today, we're still helping walk beside six families as they uh, get accustomed to Portugal, find jobs, and we're able to still help them meet some of their financial needs and physical needs. We've also used a portion of that money you've given to walk beside and to partner with our Ukrainian national staff as they're still in Ukraine. As more and more Ukrainians are now returning to Kiev and the surrounding areas, they're returning to homes that have been looted and to villages that have been destroyed. Our Ukrainian staff have been delivering boxes each week to these families in Ukraine and these surrounding villages of Kiev, delivering boxes filled with, uh, with food and home goods. And they're not just taking care of their physical needs, they're sitting down with them, praying with them and listening to them. Through your generous giving, Ukrainian refugees in Portugal and in Ukraine are seeing their physical, spiritual, and emotional needs taken care of. Thank you guys for giving generously. What a blessing. I, just, I also just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving. Thank you for, for viewing your money as a blessing that you've been given to bless others. Uh, that wouldn't be possible without um, you giving. And so thank you so much for having a worldview with, uh, with the finances that the Lord has, has given you. A couple weeks ago in my car, I, I was just driving around, and often I'll uh, actually just sit in silence and, and think. It's kind of my moment to clear my mind and, and talk to the Lord. But this specific day, I decided to turn on uh, Spotify. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go, I'll try to find like scripture that's read with like ambient music behind it because I'm pretty angsty of a human. And um, Psalm 103 came on a couple weeks ago. And I'm sitting there and I'm hearing music and I'm hearing it just be read over me. And some of the things that just popped out were so comforting for my soul in that moment. And so this morning, I thought I would maybe uh, gift some of you with, with that. A moment just to maybe close your eyes. If you will, would you just close your eyes and receive this? Let me, let me read this over, over you. It says, praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. It is he who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The line that stuck out to me the most was who satisfies your desires 
Do we believe that? If you looked at your week and the decisions you make, would you, would you say that you believe that he's the one who satisfies your deepest desires? I'm going to encourage you to listen to the words of this song as we sing it. Would you stand with us and let's sing it together. Let this be a truth that we teach our brain to believe so our heart would follow My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh alone, but in the costly wounds of love and cross. My worth is not in skill.
like me, you know that you can sing that to your soul, and then how quickly you can turn from knowing that he's our fullest, what we long for at a soul level is him, and yet we turn, every single one of us, scriptures remind us that we've all turned away and thought that we know what's best for us, instead of trusting the Father, and so every, every single week we've gathered and we've done this confession to, to remind ourselves that all we've got is Jesus at the end of this. He's our only hope. And so let's read this confession and then remind ourselves of the grace and the position that we have because of Jesus. So first, Heavenly Father, read it together. Have, have mercy, mercy on us. us. We, have we have not, not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a Savior. Savior is Jesus, who lived the life that we didn't live, who died the death that we deserve, so that we may be reunited and reconciled back to the Father. And so church, believe the good news. Read it together. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, we are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a Savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love you, Lord. Know your mercy never fails me. All my days 
Philippians chapter 6 verse 20. Kahanak, sundin ninyo ang inyong mga magulang, alang-alang sa Panginoon, sapagkat ito ang nararapat. Igalang mo ang iyong ama at ina. Ito ang unang utos na may kalakip na pangako. Magiging maganda at mahaba ang iyong buhay sa lupa. Mga magulang, huwag ninyong ibuyo sa paghihimagsik laban sa inyo ang inyong mga anak. Sa halip, palakihin ninyo sila ayon sa disiplina at aral ng Panginoon. Mga alipin, sundin ninyo ang inyong mga amo dito sa lupa ng may buong katapatan, takot at paggalang sa parang si Kristo ang siya ninyong pinaglilingkuran. Gawin ninyo iyan, may nakakita man o wala. Gawin hindi upang mapuri ng mga tao, kundi dahil kayo'y mga lingkod ni Kristo at buong pusong sumusunod sa kalooban ng Diyos. Maglingkod kayo ng masaya ang kalooban na parang sa Panginoon, kayo naglilingkod, hindi sa tao. Sapagkat alam ninyong gagantimpalaan ng Panginoon ang bawat mabuting gawa ni Numan, maging siya man ay alipin o malaya. Mga amo, maging mabait kayo sa inyong mga alipin at huwag silang pagbabantaan. Huwag ninyong kalilimutan na kayo ay parehong alipin ng isang Panginoon na nasa langit at pantay ang kanyang pagtingin sa inyo. Well, good morning. Maybe one more try. Good morning. Well, that's good. That's better. Hey, my name is Steve Graves, and I'm, uh, my wife and I have been part of Fellowship for a long, long time, and I'm happy to be with you this morning uh, working through, continue to work through Ephesians 6. Um, um, you know, my wife and I are jumping deep into the grandparent season of life. Uh, we have two on the ground and two in the oven, as I like to say, and that's a ton of fun, just a ton of fun. Not too long ago, we were in Birmingham, Alabama, for a family-wide wedding event. Everybody that kind of was there with us. And my mother-in-law reminded me that when my kids were young, I used to tell kind of these homespun children's stories of animals and colorful characters to my kiddos. And she said, maybe you ought to bring those out of retirement and pull those back into the grandkids. And I said, well, that's an interesting thought, perhaps, if I can actually even remember any of them. Um, and then she said, do you remember you also did something called kind of a word of the week? a word of the week, and I said, no, don't even remember that at all. She said, yeah, you used to cook up a word of the week, and you would give it to them, and it would be something you guys could ch chat through the week, kind of consequential word. Well, <clears throat> this morning, I'm not going to tell you any homespun children's stories, but I am going to give you a word of the day, perhaps the week, and actually maybe a word that could hold you for a while in life. The word is integration. Say that word with me. One more time, a little louder. Integration. Integration. Now, immediately we can think about stuff like social integration, school integration, uh, business integration. I've been involved in a ton of vertical integrations through business in the last few years. This morning, the, the word integration actually at its core means to kind of blend, to combine, to incorporate parts into a whole. This morning, I want us to bend that word integration around our journey of faith. I want to take the concept of our journey of faith and I want to use the word integration to kind of bring some life to it. Let me explain. Typically what happens is we have our religious world, our faith world is over here. 
Um, and then the rest of life is kind of over here. Our faith life includes our church life, a Christmas. If you, if you don't do church a lot, you might do Easter, um, weddings, funerals, uh, crises in life, those kind of things. And then there's this other side of life, which is kind of the, the real side of life. And they kind of set separate. Theologians call this the, the, the great divide, the sacred secular split, okay? This morning, what I wanna do is I wanna try to push those back together and we're gonna operate with an assumption or a thesis. And the thesis is this. I really believe after four decades of studying the scriptures that the gospel of Jesus was intended to inform and to transform the details of my everyday life. Now let that sink in for a second. Read it again. The gospel of Jesus was intended to inform, shape, bring truth, bring context, inform, and then transform. Help me make the changes in life that I actually need to make, that I can't make by myself. That's the intent of the gospel. Now, no book of the Bible addresses this like Ephesians. Ephesians absolutely is designed to prove this point true for us. The first, book, the first three books of, the, of Ephesians are about theology, heavy doctrine, sanctification, atonement, the cross, the church, justification, all that. And then when you get to chapter four, you jump over and chapter four says, well, this is how we ought to live in light of all that stuff. And then the last three chapters actually are about practical application. It takes it into kind of what I do with my life in the details of my life in light of that. Make sense? That's kind of the big idea. So this morning what I want us to do is this. We're gonna continue working our way through Ephesians. Go to your Bibles or go to your phones, whatever you're reading out of, and go to chapter six, uh, verses one to nine. We're gonna tackle some pretty tough topics this morning, okay? Jump in those. Now before we even jump into the first verse, I want us to tackle a, a thought that I think is really, really important as it relates to studying theology or especially trying to get practical in the Bible. And here's the thought. No single verse in the Bible captures all that God thinks about any topic or issue. Now, very, very, very few times are we able to sit down and actually read every, every verse of the Bible about any particular topic. We're always jumping in and jumping on a few verses and then we're pulling out and then sometime later we'll jump on a few other verses. It's important that we remember that, that, that no one verse contains all of God's thought. Now, this morning, we're going to do this. We're going to try to apply the theology of the first part of Ephesians to my family life and into my work life. We got to remember, though, that there's a lot more verses all over the Bible about family and a lot more verses all over the Bible about work. So we're just going to tackle the ones that are going to show up and, and, and work our way through Ephesians. Make sense? All right, here's what we're gonna do. Um, I'm gonna give you one big insight uh, for, the, for, for children, one big insight for parents, and one big insight on work. Those are gonna be kind of the way we kind of work our way through. Let's start off right out, out of the gate into, into Ephesians 6, verses one to three is where we begin. And here's our first big insight. Our first big insight is every child should honor their parents. Now, the book of Ephesians in chapter six opens up from the vantage of the child to the parent. It would be very common in this particular day for children to be listening to this book being read in the Ephesian church. They didn't have children's church going on down the hall somewhere. They kind of were all right there. 
So the children would have been hearing, so it would have been natural for Paul the Apostle to address the children as well. Um, the first principle or first insight I like to at least suggest that we wrap our heads around of how children relate to parents related to the family, the household of faith, is children should honor their parents. And when you look at verse one and two, immediately there are two verbs that jump out. Children obey their parents and children honor your father and mother. Immediately you might think to yourself, well, those are two words, must mean the same thing, must be interchangeable. Uh, just kind of one, one word means the same thing. They're actually not. They're actually two different words that mean two different things. The word obey is actually from the word in the Greek, hupakuo. Kuo, you might um, uh, recognize acoustics. Akuo uh, uh, is hearing. So obeying is somebody hears something and then they do it. I hear, I do, I hear, I do, I hear, I do, I hear, and I don't do is what? It's disobeying. So the Bible actually opens up and begins building the case that for children early on, young children is the, is the, is the word there, need to learn how to obey their parents. But there's no way that I believe that obedience, it can be the defining tissue of every parent and every child forever. I think it's kind of the building block. It's the stepping stone. It's the first step. It's the thing that we begin with. Um, it's the thing that helps children learn how to, to, to know the difference between foolish living and wise living. Learn the difference between right and wrong. Learn the difference between um, uh, why authority is important and all of that. It's a first step. It's not the final step. The final step in relating of how a child relates to the parents over the long haul is in our word honor. Obedience is just the beginning. It just gets us going. Now, here's the deal. Remember in the book of Ephesians, there's this backdrop about me and God. So I'm supposed to be learning how to obey God in my life, but there's even something bigger than that, which is this idea of honoring. Honoring is actually a much more rich word, a bigger word, a more powerful word than the word obedience. Obedience is like a duty. Honor is like a disposition. Uh, uh, obedience is just kind of what I do. Honor is kind of how I'm feeling about you and what I, what I think about you. In the Greek, the word honor means to add weight, put value, um, to deposit worth in you. And so somehow, some way, in my, in my role with you as a child, to my parents, I learn how to put weight, to place some more value, to add some worth back into your life. Honor. Um, I actually asked some friends of mine of all ages how they honored their parents. And um, I wanna just read you a couple of these. They were pretty interesting. Um, one person told me that they honored their parents by, by going and asking their parents questions about their life and then learning how to practice engaged listening. Um, for me, the engaged listening was really interesting. Um, sometimes I'll ask somebody a question, but I'm not always really engaged in my listening. Number two, take and eat a meal with them. Show them some pictures um, off your phone. Build some, some fullness and some happiness into their soul, to their heart. Number three, take them on a trip. Check off a bucket list item. Four, replace some things, replace some things that you learned from them or some of the greatest memories you had when growing up. Now tell me that would not put some value and some worth 
and some weight into a parent. For a child to say, hey, let me tell you some things I learned from you when I was growing up. Let me, let me, let me rehearse some memories of growing up with you as a parent. Honor is the idea. Honor is the big idea. Here's the last one. Join them in their hobbies and interests, kind of a role reversal. You know, as parents, we're always about the interest and hobbies of our kids. Flip it over. Get involved in the, in the interest and hobbies of, of your parents. So the big idea, number one, is this. Generally, every child should learn how to honor their parents. Number two, every parent should nurture their child. Keep reading. Now, verse four kind of busts right out of the middle, and it, it, it hits dads right on the head. Fathers, don't exacerbate or don't, don't stir up anger or don't, um, don't, um, don't just nag your children in such a way that creates this, this low-grade bitterness in them for you. Now, I don't believe necessarily that, that the Apostle Paul nor the New Testament is trying to say that dads alone have problems with this. I think dads in the New Testament certainly did have um, challenges for sure, but I think it's more of a parent thing. It comes out very, very fast and it comes out negative, but it doesn't stop there. Look at the rest of the verse. It says, don't do these negative things. Don't nag your children. Don't do things that are gonna steal their spirit. Don't do things that's gonna rob their, 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 their heart, their energy. Don't do something that's going to continually make them have a negative disposition towards you all the time. Now look, I'm not some parenting expert. I'm just trying to teach the text and help us understand what it says. The negative piece of that sits right out of the gate, but then it goes into what I think is one of the most powerful, beautiful words in the New Testament. You see the word build up, bring up? It says don't do these things, but bring up your child. So, my, so a child's job is to honor the parents. The parent's job is to nurture the child. The word bring up is exactly the word in the New Testament that means nurture. It's actually two or three words in the New Testament that use this and reference it. The most beautiful picture is in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the same exact word traces back there, and it means to rub, rub. The picture is rubbing the palate of a young child, the, the lips and the tongue with crushed dates or oil to do what? Why would you do that? To make the child what? Eat, hungry, feed. The child's not used to eating and so they're gonna crush up some dates and they're gonna wipe the dates around the, the palate of the child and the child gets hungry. Says, man, give me some more of those dates. Let me have some more of that oil. What a picture. The parent's job is to nurture, is to somehow create a feeding in the child for self-discovery on their own. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. That's a really easy picture to, to imagine when our children are babies, when they're really young. But how does that translate when you kind of start growing them up? I think it's the same thing. I think it's the parent's job to create those things in life that create natural, healthy hunger in the child, in the youngster, in the teenager, to become um, strong, healthy adults. Make sense? Um, 
Years ago, I began praying a verse through uh, for me and my wife and my children and my family and just and even my grandchildren now. And it's this Luke passage. Um, have you ever seen this passage, Luke two fifty two? Jesus grew, and look at the four ways that Jesus increased and grew. He grew physically. Um, he grew spiritually. He grew socially. Um, grew physically. I mean, he just he grew in these four different areas. Now, here would be my caution for us. I think it's very easy for parents, at least it was for me, I think it's very easy for parents to over-index on one rubbing or the other. In other words, it's easy for us to over-index on trying to make sure that our children are growing in one area over the other areas. And I think basically the, the scripture teaches that it's our job as parents to nurture our children for a holistic, a composite approach to becoming a full-orbed adult, nurture. So here's what we got. We have this picture that the child's job is basically to honor the parents. The parent's job is to nurture the child. And the New Testament is putting this all in the verses that open and end within the Lord and of the Lord. The idea would be, I have all this theology over here. Somehow integrate those two in the way I do my family life. And the family life, the way the New Testament is approaching it in Ephesians is simply this. Honors the big idea for children and nurturing, rubbing, creating hunger, creating an appetite in children for the healthy things in life in a full-orbed way. That's the idea of nurturing. Make sense? Okay, so that's kind of the family idea. And then it goes into verse five and stuff gets a little, little challenging. And it goes into what I think is the second big area, which is work, work. Now, as soon as you open up and you look at verse five, open, look at your scriptures, verse five, the very first word of verse five is slaves. Now, immediately we have to do some contextualizing to get into the idea, the main idea of verses five to nine, I think. Um, the Yale uh, Anchor Bible Dictionary, a very scholarly uh, piece of work, basically tries to make the case that it's really challenging and hard for anybody that sits into, in the modern world to work your way back through the horrible, horrific 18th and 19th century of slavery to the first century and understand what was going on. They make the case that basically you gotta go back to the New Testament day, start there, and work your way this way. In the New Testament, the concept of slavery had nothing to do with race. It was not race-based at all. It had, it, and it, only, it, it was a lifetime. It only it lasted till they were 30. Um, let me read you this paragraph to, just to kind of help, help us contextualize the idea before we jump into the idea of work. Despite the legal distinction between slaves and owners, persons in slavery did not constitute a different social or economic class. Slaves' social status, their lifestyle, their economic opportunity, even their education was tied to the status of their respective masters and developed no recognizable consciousness of being a group of suffering, a common plight. In other words, a call of slaves to the world would unite would have fallen on deaf ears in ancient times. In fact, they, were, they, they wanted to be a slave because they didn't want to go look for work every day. The begging question is, why does the New Testament not scream abolish slavery? It seems to actually almost endorse it. I would make the case of this. I would make the case that in the New Testament, the concept of slavery was really about the concept of work. It was later until 
the 18th century when you meet a man named William Wilberforce. If you've never read about his life, if you've never watched a movie, do yourself a favor. He was a politician um, in Britain, uh, a strong follower of Jesus, and basically he spent 18 years screaming at the top of his lungs. He bet everything he had, he spent everything he had uh, uh, fighting, fighting the horrible um, evil slavery that was sweeping through the Caribbean and into the new world. So here's what I'd like to suggest to us this morning. I don't think Ephesians 6 is trying to give us a theological treatise on slavery, not a historical piece at all. I think it's actually talking about work. Just like it's talking about family, it's talking about the idea of work. If you look at verses six and seven, there's a bunch of stuff that begins to break open around the concept of work. Um, there's a big idea that I like to at least challenge us with, which is connecting our work to God changes everything. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before or not, but it's a, it's a really interesting thought. Um, when I began to connect everything that I do with my work, my work to God, my world kind of begins to shift a little bit. Um, things begin to move around. Um, I would suggest in the, in the verses of five to nine, at the end of this particular section, basically Paul is tackling the concept of work. And when I begin to, to grab this principle, I understand that work changes the why and it changes the how. The gospel literally flips the why of my work and the how of my work upside down. Let me explain. Um, a book back in 2009 was written by a guy named Simon Sinek, and he says, start with why. Um, his case, it's a secular book, but his case was is, is when you ask and answer the why questions of life, you anchor life to something deeper, okay? So here's the question, why do we work? Why do you work the job that you do have? Why do we chase jobs that we don't have? Uh, why do we wish we would have different jobs? What's, what's the why connected to your work? What is it? Um, in, 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 in Ephesians 1, um, the verse basically shifts, and you see that phrase, belonging to Christ? You see that? Paul is shifting the customer of my work from me, me only to someone else. For most of us, I would argue that my work is basically for me. I work for me, um, I earn money for me, I'm trying to get fulfillment for me, I'm trying to create a lifestyle for me, and that's the reason I work. And this can be any kind of work, but I'm working for that cause. What Paul does in Ephesians 6, is he takes it and he says, why don't you anchor the why of your work to your identity with Christ? So all of a sudden, now I have a different customer on my work. I, I, I'm still the customer, but I also have now a bigger customer, a higher customer, a, a more ultimate customer for why I do all that I do. And the why changes. Make sense? But also the how, and this is where it's really, really practical. This is where the, the Ephesians book just kind of jumps right off the page. Look at, look at down in verse, um, the last part of verse five, and he gives us some hows also. There's three quick questions that he, he pops out and, and, and basically tells us when I connect my work um, to Christ, 
when my work begins to, to be embedded in the way I think about belonging to Christ, it's not separate. It's not over here and then my whole church thing is over here. I've wedded those together. Not only is my why changing, but my, my how changes. Um, let me show you a couple examples. There's three questions. One is in verse five and six, one is in seven, and one is in eight. Um, in five, it says this. It says, are you wholehearted, are you sincere in your work? You see that, see that phrase? In the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ, don't work only while being watched. The idea is sincerity. Um, in the Greek New Testament, there's two words. There's one that's called haplos, and there's one that's called duplos. And haplos is the idea of being single-minded or single-focused or solely wholehearted. Duplos would be the idea of duplicity or duplicated or two things. Um, Paul is trying to make the case that, that, that when, I, when I understand and hook up my work to Christ, it allows me to become single-hearted. Now, I'm not sure exactly how to, how to apply this to the modern world because we live in a gig economy. Everybody has side gigs going on. Um, I'm kind of a portfolio entrepreneur my whole life. I've got a lot of things going on. I do know this, regardless of how many things I might have going on, there's a principle here that talks about me learning how to become uh, sincere, uh, wholehearted, very focused in the thing that I'm working for you. If you're my boss and you've given me a job, I need to learn how to become focused, uh, single focused. That's the first question. The second is what kind of attitude do you take to work with you every day? Um, you say, Steve, you don't understand my job. You don't understand the, the work I do. You don't understand the boss I have. You don't understand, I, I work in a horrible place. That's true. But the way I understand it is we all bring our attitude to work regardless of the situation. And if you look down in verse um, seven, it says, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord, not to people. Again, anchoring my how to my why, which is a different why, because I'm belonging to Christ. I really believe that literally that connecting my work to God, to Christ, literally changes everything about that portion of the details of my life. Attitude. The third one is this, what kind of good are you bringing to work every day? Look down at verse eight. You see that phrase? Knowing that whatever good each one of you does, you will receive it back from the Lord. I wish we had about an hour, maybe two, maybe three, the rest of the afternoon to talk about Martin Luther. Martin Luther spent years and years and years working around the concept of what it means for a person who has met Jesus to go to work and to bring good. It's, it is incredible. It makes me understand that what I do is tied into God's creative actions and energies every day in our globe. It's amazing stuff. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine was complaining about how much money he gets kept out of his paycheck all the time. Anybody had that happen lately? And he was saying, man, do you have any idea? I mean, like, look, I'll make this and this is what I get. And he was just griping up a storm. I got to thinking about this. What if, what if every day on our phones, 
there was a, a um, uh, how you work calculator that was installed, part of the AI, okay? And every day, how you were focused, how you did good, and the kind of attitude you brought to work every day either took money out of your check or added money back into your check. How, how, how would your paycheck be? Who wants to pick, who wants to say, I'm in on that one. I'll take that one. Yeah. Uh, Paul is trying to make the case, literally, that, that our work life becomes informed and transformed because of the gospel. Just like our family life becomes informed and transformed by the gospel. That's the book of Ephesians. That's the entire thing. It's built to try to help us understand that like one thing's not here and one thing's not over here. Um, let me read you one last quote here and then we'll begin to end. Uh, Dorothy Sayers was a writer about 70 or, or 70 or 80 years ago that's done a ton of work around this topic. Um, I love this quote. And nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She has allowed work and religion to become separate departments. How can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of life? The church's approach to an intelligent car carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in the leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. This was 80 years ago, okay? Here's the big statement. Watch this one. You ready? What the church should be telling him to do is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes on him is that he should make good tables. You say, wow. The practicality of Ephesians is this. The gospel should come in and literally transform the why that I work and the how that I work. And then the verse ends real quickly. Look at this. Go to the very end of the text down in verses nine and 10, and it shifts one last time, just like in the early part, we had the children to the parents and the parents to the children. In the second section, we have the workers to the bosses, and now we have the bosses back to the workers. It's a really interesting comparison, and it, and it literally doesn't let the bosses out. If you happen to be a boss, you can, be, you can own the whole company, you can be a boss of a few people, it doesn't matter. Here's two big insights that I think we, we definitely at least need to grab at the very end. Two questions, let me read them. And masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with them. Translate correctly, workers, workers and bosses. In this case, bosses, you treat your workers the same way you would like to be treated because what? You yourself even have a boss. This notion that just because you're the boss or you're the owner, or you're the CEO or you're the sole proprietor that you have nothing, no covering above you, Paul says, no, no, no. You have a boss that's going to evaluate you as well. So learn how to work under a boss yourself. And then he ends with a really strong statement and the ending he comes back with is whatever you do, don't operate with a false understanding of value and dignity. The concept of value and dignity, favoritism, that's the idea. It means somebody who kind of looks and thinks one thing, oh, I must be more valuable than you because I'm the manager, I'm the boss, I own the company, whatever. Paul says no, 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 no. 
That has nothing to do with it. It has to do with belonging to Christ, having your why and your how and your identity connected to your relationship with God, and that's the big idea. Let's end where we started, okay? The principle is this. The gospel of Jesus was intended to inform and transform the details of my everyday life. When we get to Ephesians chapter six, verses one to nine, Paul splits it right down the middle, and he says, listen, I wanna try to apply the gospel to the family, the world of the family, and that's what he's doing. And he talks about it from the children to the parents and the parents to the children. And then he says, what about work? This other place that we spend tons of our energy. And he says, if you will get the gospel, the intent, the truth of what the rest of Ephesians is all about into the work side of your life, it'll transform the why that you work and also the how that we work. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for the uh, guidance that you've given us into how to do everyday life because it's hard. It's confusing, very disappointing sometimes and um, often kind of cloudy. It can be that way with our family and it can be that way with our work. Pray that you would continue to use the book of Ephesians to guide us and to um, steer us inform us and to transform us because we belong to you. In Christ's name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with us as we end our time this morning. We're going to sing a chorus we sang earlier in the service. Just remind ourselves of the faithfulness of our God and in all of our life he's been faithful. So let's sing this together. All my life, all my life you have been faithful. so blessed. Hey, this morning, as you head out, uh, Steve, thanks for being here this morning. Uh, Steve was, uh, growing up, I, I was at his house all the times, and I can admit that he did tell us stories all the time about animals. Those were some of my favorite stories. And uh, Steve has, has come, he wants to come alongside you in your work and in your home. And out in the information booth, there's, these are two books that he's written. And uh, if you would like to snag one on your way out this morning, he's been gracious enough to give us some copies. And so as you're headed out, uh, if information booth and one of these interests you, I'd encourage you to pick one up and, and read it. And as always, if you need prayer to my left, to your right, we'd love to pray with you in our prayer room. God bless you, Fellowship Faith. Let's honor the Lord this morning and this week in our homes.